Well, may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 73 for Friday 23rd of November 2018, Dr Who Day. I'm Jeremy Sear, and each 23rd of November, the day 22nd of November is, I'm getting quizzical looks, 22nd of November is the JFK Day, and 23rd of November is Doctor Who Day. It is. And each week I'm joined by a different guest host to look at me quizzically when I introduce the podcast in relation to Doctor Who, uh-huh. and help me discuss what's just been happening to our country, what will happen to our country, likely, and hopefully what we can do about it. This isn't a Doctor Who podcast? No, it isn't. Although, if it was, I'd be like, why do they have a parental guidance warning for science fiction themes? Is that something we as parents need to be worried about? Apparently. Science fiction, well, science fiction can seem a bit like reality these days. <laughs> Certainly the dystopic type of science yes. fiction. We have a terrible Prime Minister who's doing a bunch of evil shit at the moment. So, look, let's just get straight into it because the, 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 he's basically going full on race baiting now. So today, we're recording this late Thursday night. Today he's been declaring that he's going to be trying to find a way to strip citizenship from people accused of terrorism offences. As long as they can determine that they're probably the citizen of another country. For now, do any of us trust that he won't then move that to... Probably. The next step will be, well, why should they be advantaged just because they're not technically a citizen of another country? We should treat them... We should be making stateless people. Oh, God. We'll just ship them off to an island gulag. Oh, wait. Okay, we have a criminal justice system that is supposed to be able to deal with people committing the most serious crimes. Yes. It has checks and balances. We have a whole criminal justice system that is designed to take us away from the days of, you know, the king says you should be punished and off you go and and off with your head sort of thing, to a system whereby we only punish the guilty as far as we can humanly determine it. Yes. And so they're going from saying that anyone who's sentenced to more than six years for a terrorism offence and has dual citizenship can have their citizenship stripped, to saying that anyone convicted of any terrorism offence, which they could label a whole lot of things terror offences... Yeah, it's very vaguely defined. ...and who probably has dual citizenship can have their citizenship stripped by the uh, Home Affairs Minister. Yeah, this is the thing. In a country where we have the rule of law and we have checks and balances, politicians should not have the power to take away your citizenship. There should not be a minister who has that power to just, at his own discretion or her own discretion, take your citizenship away. That is so far beyond what would be possible in a country with due process and proper protections. And as someone who has dual citizenship and who was awarded citizenship to this country, I find that a particularly slippery and scary slope to be running down. Well, it's bad enough that people have the potential for dual citizenship can't serve in our parliament, which is, again, profoundly undemocratic and absolutely absurd that we can't seem to do anything about that, given the idiotic way the High Court's determined Section 44. However, it does mean that we've saved our daughter from a lifetime of politics. As long as she is fast asleep right now. Yes. I mean, we had the the Kindling digital audio station for the last bit of the drive down from Yarrawonga, and they were... We're giving her the it's seven o'clock, it's time for bed, deep breathing meditation, you're a butterfly, you're floating through the air, we're breathing in, your tummy is a balloon, and I'm like, I need to keep driving. <laughs> this has been a very long drive. Please stop this. 
And then they started doing a Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, like, you know, like a little Glockenspiel type version of yeah. Band on the Run. And I'm like, you know how Band on the Run does not start with actual Band on the Run? It starts off with some other bit. And I'm like, this is very familiar. And then, you know, you're getting more and more confident that, that this Twinkly thing is actually a pop song that you know. And to before it eventually segues into, for example, the next point that I'm going to make about Scott Morrison attacking migrants, which is, of course, the big thing this week, where he's turned around and said, and this is, by the way, classic, classic right-wing diversion. You know how the classic right-wing thing is? We've screwed you over economically as the rich people. You should blame the poor and the migrants and, you know, you yeah. should blame everyone but us. And the classic one for a government is we've stuffed up badly on investment in infrastructure. We've screwed the housing market with our ridiculous capital gains and negative gearing and, and the, the vicious spiral that we created under Howard. We don't have enough funding for things because we've given them all the money away in tax cuts. Anyway, cities are crowded beyond what the infrastructure that we've funded can, can deal with. Don't blame us, the people who are in charge. Yeah, don't blame, blame migrants. Us. Exactly. Don't blame us, the people who didn't fund enough infrastructure projects, who didn't look far enough into the future, didn't do any sort of planning for any of these things. Exactly. It's those look brown people. Look over there. As we find ourselves now at the beginning of what is definitely not an election, the Liberal Party are now trotting out the classic and race-baiting line that our cities and towns are overflowing and they're overcrowded, trains and buses are jammed to the hilt. And that apparently is somehow connected with immigration as though those two things have anything to do with one another. Alan Tudge went on breakfast TV this morning and Scott Morrison is banging on about it to the press, blaming immigration for the ongoing and very real issues of housing affordability, overpopulation and lack of transport services. What these have to do with immigration, I frankly don't understand. These are infrastructure problems. There is a critical lack of infrastructure spending nationwide coming no doubt from a liberal government who is super keen to tell you that there's a budget emergency and they need to cancel everything and sorry champ but your soccer trip with the the under nine team is going to be cancelled this year because we just can't afford it but we can manage a massive tax cut and we can also give the better part of a billion dollars to rupert murdoch but we can't spend any money on any kind of growth. So the solution is rather than to invest in infrastructure and hire more train drivers and put all the money into getting rid of all the things that are propping up an already bloated housing market, the solution is to blame brown people, as is the number one modus operandi for the Liberal Party at the moment for anything ever. So what to from here? Economic decisions that reach back to the Howard era and beyond with housing affordability, no one has done anything about that. No one, no one at a state or federal level has really adequately worked to peg back the spiraling housing pricing and all of those things that then drive up rent and all of those things that drive people further out of, out of the cities so that they require more things like public transport. There is a greater need for and great, greater demand for and greater breadth required upon public transport. That spending just isn't there. But rather than actually correcting that by investing in that infrastructure and acknowledging the problem for what it is and bringing us into something like the 21st century, the Liberal Party have done what they always do, and they've blamed brown people. Now, clearly, migration is not a significant driver of Australian population growth at the moment. It's a very small part. In terms of the number of people in cities, the bigger growth in terms of people who aren't born here is things like international students it's temporary migrants yep. like um, where, where the government is basically funding the universities by exploiting people from overseas, from overseas exactly but that's all temporary migration it's got nothing to do with what morrison's talking about and fundamentally australia 
is a migrant country that could deal with much bigger migration populations, but you've got to actually build the infrastructure as you go, and the governments have been shit at doing that. But yes. the solution isn't to go, well, we'll just kick the migrants out. Because, you know, as the population grows, those people can also build more infrastructure. It's just a matter what? of government getting the setting right. That's madness. Of, as the population grows, you can allocate part of that population. Like, they, people... Yes. People are hit and they can do work, which means they can build infrastructure. Like, this is not a an unsolvable problem. A country isn't like... We don't look at the country with, like, 20 people and go, oh, my God, that country's reached nirvana. They must have the best infrastructure in no. the world because they've got hardly any people. No, because nobody can build it. Yes. Like, the other issue is that it's also not a solution to say that we'll allow migrants, but we'll only allow migrants to certain regions or areas. Oh, uh, yeah, the, the idea of special zones. This, this, look... Morrison is making it very clear, by the way, that all of the liberals bullshit about no, no, we're not xenophobic, we're not anti-foreigners. It's just, it's just we've got a, our sovereignty and we've got a process, and you've got to come in the right way. This bit from Morrison, as soon as he's free to unleash his racism, clearly demonstrates it's got nothing to do with the manner in which you come, because we're not only going to be penalising if you dare to flee seeking refuge uh, without making an appointment first. We're also going to reduce the people who have made an appointment like Mm. well he uh apparently said that population growth was essential for economic success but voters in australia's big cities are concerned about population they are saying enough 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 the roads are clogged the buses and trains are full the schools are taking no more enrollments so instead of funding more schools or building like when you have migrants, we tax them. They fund. They they put towards the economy. Yes. They put towards the infrastructure. Like then then this idea that oh well, I guess we can only deal with the number of schools that we had before the migrants arrived. We certainly can't build new ones. What the? F- Who are these idiots? Look, I understand that the economic right wing of the Liberal Party, the so the, the right is always actually torn on immigration because the big business side of the Liberal Party actually quite likes migrants, particularly if they can get them in on the shitty visas where they don't actually have you know, rights like Australian workers. They're like, sweet, we can get some workers in here who we don't have to treat properly at all. And those are the workers who undercut Australian workers. The way, of course, to not have migrant workers undercutting Australian workers would be to make sure that migrant workers have the same protections as Australian workers yes. and that they don't undercut Australian workers. But yeah, so the big business side of the party actually quite likes that kind of migration, whereas, of course, the xenophobic populist side hates the foreigners. And, oh. and, and the people like Morrison are happy to use that. They're like, okay, cool. That's the thing. He does, he does, he does contradict himself directly by saying that the next three decades, our population is going to age and the impacts are going to... It's going to impact our workforce participation. And he said that migrants were, were younger on average and mainly employed. So we and need without them. Migra- and he actually says this. Without migration, Australia's workforce would be shrinking by 2020. With migration, the Product- Productivity Commission estimates that the labour force participation will be around 10% higher in 2020. So we need them. Look, I, Scott Morrison, am well aware that if I get this enormous hammer and I punch myself in the balls with it, it will hurt me a lot. It will cause me significant harm and damage. Now, if you'll excuse well, will me, will it be what? fair dinkum? <laughs> oh God, everything! What was it? What was the new fair dinkum thing today? Fair dinkum migration. Oh my God! Yes, it, look, it will hurt my hurt me to ma- smash myself in the balls with this hammer. However, watch me smash myself in the balls with this hammer. Like what the? F- it's just the most. He knows that it's a stupid thing to do, but but I guess it's better for them to pander to xenophobes and racists and idiots well, than take responsibility for their own incompetence. The other thing he says is this year we have almost 600,000 foreign students studying in Australia. 600,000. From the cafes of Glebe and the bars of Parramatta to the computer stores of Canberra and the laundromats of Coffs Harbour, these students are supporting jobs. Yep. So basically these students are working at crappy 
part-time jobs in New South Wales and ACT and nowhere else. But it's also that, like, he's basically saying that these students are supporting us by working in the service industry, working in a industry that is great for underemployment, for underpaying, for not well, having award wages. Yeah, so where the ACTU and where Labor should be getting stuck into, because, you know, working, blue-collar workers are worried about migrants coming and taking their jobs, but the problem there isn't migrants, it's where they don't have protections, yes. where they can be exploited. Exactly. Those are the migrants who are The problem to isn't migrants. The problem is the exploitation of migrants by the system we have in place. Yes. So the, the solution to that is you vote for left-wing parties that will protect the working conditions of all workers, regardless of whether they're migrants or not. So what have we got? We've got, we've got him attacking migration in general. We've got, in fact, worse than that, we've got the coalition refusing to sign up to the United Nations Migration Pact because it'll undermine our harsh policies to deter asylum seekers. Now, we were part of drafting this thing. Notwithstanding that, we have said that we're not going to sign it because this is the bit we object to. It, the final draft says that migration detention should only be used as a measure of last resort and states should work towards alternatives. I mean, that's terrible. That is terrible. A last resort? It doesn't even stop us doing it. It's just like, you know, try other solutions first. The compact fails to adequately distinguish between people who enter Australia illegally and those who come to Australia the right way, particularly with respect to the provision of welfare and other benefits. God, that idea country. of illegal migration drives me crazy. Because it's a lie. Okay, let me immediately remove any credibility I have on the subject by saying, I don't frankly see the problem with open borders. But like, the, the, the economic class is more than happy to have open borders as far as money is concerned. They want their money to be able to move around the world easily. But human beings they've got a real problem with. Frankly, if people want to come here and live and work, let them. We still run the country in, in a way that we can fund school, we can make sure that the basic um, respect for human rights and, and so forth... We could actually have some respect for human rights. We could have a Bill of Rights. We could do that now and make sure that these things are in place and, and, and we're protected from, you know, people are paranoid that there'll be some cultures that'll come in and impose some kind of, you know, misogynist, patriarchal, some kind of old-fashioned, you know, damaging sort of approach to things as opposed to, you know, our current government. But, but people who are prepared to tr cross the world, people tend to stay in their own groups anyway. People who are prepared to cross the world and want to become part of a country and live in the country, live according to the rules of that country, pay taxes in that country. Why are we so paranoid about letting them come? Well, because they didn't come to us in a fair dinkum manner. That is nonsense. Basically, Scott Morrison's redefining fair dinkum to mean nonsense bullshit. Like, it just doesn't... Well, it's, he's, to me, it's actually sort of like a toddler learning a word and then getting, like, a really good reaction to a word. So saying that word all the time. He said fair dinkum once and people clapped. Alan Jones, but people clapped, and therefore he keeps saying it about everything because he keeps thinking he'll get a good reaction. I wonder if I sang the first bit of Downtown, he would like do Downtown, and then like if we applauded him, he'd just keep doing it, like Evie. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. <laughs> it could happen, we could try it. When you're Scott Morrison and you like to have applause for stupid things you say. Downtown. Yeah. We could try it. Anyway, he's, well, he can't use Muppet anymore because people are mocking him for it. Yes. Because it, you know, it was stupid. I mean, I use Muppet as an insult. I mean, I know clearly he picked it up from this podcast, but I'm not Prime Minister. Exactly. I mean, nor really, you see. He's only sort of a pretend Prime Minister. So we've got his cuts to migrants. We've got him uh, trying to take citizenship away. Uh, and we've also got his idiotic thing today where he was attacking Muslim groups because some of them refused to go to his stupid meeting. He's like... This series of tweets, which I feel like as you go through the tweets, you can see why the uh, various Muslim communities were like, to hell with your stupid... Like, this is not, this is not as they say, fair dinkum. 
he's like extremist radical Islam is a serious problem. By the way, uh, this is from a prime minister, of course, who is busy blaming Muslim communities for anything that happens from people by people in those communities. But he's not, for example, really angry with I don't know Brian Houston from Hillsong, his local church, who seems to he's be very silent about that, isn't he? Currently, he he's being investigated by the police about his dad's pedophilia and stuff. And as a Christian, he doesn't seem to step up about uh, to talk about the Catholic Church and everything that happened there. And weird, anyway. But but Muslims. He's like, extremist radical Islam is a serious problem. I mean, much less than a, you know, domestic violence or something, but anyway. 72 women this year. As of last night, there are now 72 women who've been killed via domestic violence this year. Mm-hmm. Very few killed by extremist radical Islam, as he calls it. No. In fact, I don't... Have there been any? He's like, we all have responsibilities to make Australia safe. And that means making sure Muslim communities... Doesn't okay, let's just leap in on Muslims. That means making sure Muslim communities do not become infiltrated with this dangerous ideology. That's why I privately invited Muslim leaders to attend... A, privately. I yeah. privately atten- invited... I'm whinging about it on Twitter, but I privately invited Muslim leaders to attend a meeting in good faith to talk honestly about what more we should be doing together to protect our communities. I've always respected and worked with Muslim communities and at the same time been honest and upfront in my dealings about the problems that need to be addressed. Some have chosen to publicly boycott this meeting. Continuing down a path of denial only lets their communities down. It makes their communities less safe and more vulnerable. That's really fucking threatening. Mm. I expect, I expect, I, Scott Morrison, your ruler, I expect all leaders in Australia, whatever religion they come from or whatever community they represent, to do everything they can to keep Australians safe. The meeting is going ahead with those who want to deal with this issue seriously rather than look the other way. Now, look, dude, refusing to hang out with you in your stupid, not good faith meeting. And th- in fact, I think he's redefined. That's what he means by fair income. Fair income to him now means anything that's not in good faith. It's his way of sounding like he's talking about good faith where he clearly isn't. It's like mm. a, it's Clayton's good faith. The, the, good fa- the expression of good faith you have when you're being acting completely not in good faith. Exactly. It's, yeah. He's now having this winch on Twitter. I privately invited them. It was in good faith. And then they talked about it publicly and said they weren't going to come because when he says he wanted to to be talking honestly about what more we should be doing together to protect our communities, he means he wants to tell them how their communities are fucked up and how they need to police them. Yeah, it, and, it reads incredibly threateningly towards it. Everywhere there, he's like, he occasionally fudges it to make it sound like, you know, you know we need to, we all need to do work against violence ourselves, but he's not planning on doing anything. It's entirely Muslim communities. They need to understand that we're going to keep blaming them if anybody even tangentially related to them does anything wrong. Absolutely, and, and speaking of people looking at the other way, as you say, he's not exactly out there calling out the leaders of Christianity, is he? No, he isn't. Uh, he was out there Having getting stuck into Tasmania, those terrifying Tasmanians who have now passed the legislation to let parents register unknown or neutral for gender as well as instead of female or male. They can still mark female or male, but they can choose. They can not still to. mark female or male, but and the birth is still registered, so it will be registered in the registry as female or male. But on the birth certificate, they can choose to just not have a gender represented, so they can have female, male, or nothing yeah. on the birth certificate. It's their choice. It's up to them. It's up to the parents, yeah. I mean, the other way of doing it would be what the ACL whinges about, which is simply not to record gender at all on the birth certificate and leave it up to the child as they become an adult to decide what their gender is. But, I mean, that's the, that's the whole rant that we had from bloody... Oh, sorry, before we get to the Victorian election, Scummo tweets, Labor's plan to remove gender from birth certificates in Tasmania is ridiculous. Bill Shorten should step up and commit to put motion to ALP Federal Conference to outlaw it. To outlaw it. Like, what? 
Scott Morrison, what difference does it make to you what the birth certificate says in terms of gender? What? Why? Why should Bill Shorten do that? Because you don't like trans people and because the bigots you want to appeal to don't like trans people and that's it. That's exactly it. They offend him. The existence of trans people offends him because it offends his weird, radical Christianity, his little sect of it. And because they're handy, they're handy people to beat at the moment. Basically, gay and lesbian people, people know a lot more of than they are trans people. So they're an easy target, easy punching bag for, for, for far-right idiots who just hate people who are different. I mean, God, we had the ACL out there this morning emailing this lie to their members, Dear X, did you know that if Labor is elected at the next federal election, parents could become criminals simply for affirming that their sons are boys and their daughters are girls? You absolute lying sack of shit, Martin Ellis. Yeah, that, that is terrifying. What a well, liar. The well, he wants it to be terrifying, it's just not true. The leaders had a debate last night, or well, there was a debate between Matthew Guy and um, Daniel Andrews Okay, the Victorian state election this Saturday, two days away. Please vote, please, please vote. And please be very, very careful because Victoria still has the stupid above-the-line um, group ticket thing that, like, that we just got rid of in the federal yes. Senate, which most other states have. Basically, your choices are mark one above the line or number at least five boxes below the line, which may, if you mark one above the line, then you don't know, unless you go and dig out the actual ticket, where those are going. And it's this idiotic... They go to some scary, scary places and to some of these scary minor right parties like the Aussie Battlers, who firmly believe that all migrants need to sign a 10-year good behaviour bond and that we need to stop letting people into this country and that at safe schools is grooming children for pedophiles. Basically... The current system encourages, if you're the right, you can do the, I think it's Glenn Drury, the, the, the guy who does the, the, the preference, the, basically gets the, the crank far right parties in. Because basically, you just run a bunch of these parties, they all have the same odds of getting at the top of the, the ballot as the real parties. They flood the, pa- the ballot papers. So you get this really long ballot paper filled with, with crank parties that are basically the same. And then they just farm preferences to each other. And you can basically, under the this system, and this is why the federal government got rid of it, um, this is why the Greens supported that and, and Labor opposing yes. it effectively was idiotic. It wasn't a special deal with the, with the Liberal Party. It was something that needs to happen and yeah, the Greens absolutely. were right to support it. So, yeah, just be very careful. Uh, there's only, like, what? What do you got? You've got the Greens, you've got the ALP, you've got the Socialists, who have some potential problems with some of their candidates. Um, and the Greens are having problems with some of their candidates this, this election anyway. But the important thing is that the more votes that the Greens get, they tell Labor that there are more progressive voters out there. Whereas if you just vote for the ALP, they don't know if you're a right-wing ALP or a, a progressive ALP, so they don't know which way to go. So voting one Greens, two ALP, means that if the Green, you don't get a Green person, you at least get an ALP person who knows that their votes came from the Greens and know to be progressive. But apart from the Greens, the ALP and the Socialists, Everyone on their kind of right-wing ratbags, you've got Reason, who are the old sex party, who have done a bunch of deals with... Their preferences were going to, like, the Lib Dems and scary right-wing people. They're reasonably progressive on some social things. things. But not economic stuff. No. They're very... So, really, like, it's a really hard ballot paper to fill in. Basically, vote below the line and fill in five choices. And if you fill in five choices, then your um, preferences don't go anywhere beyond those five choices. Yeah, although if you want to... I mean, I I still think it's worth numbering down so that you can put... Like, I hate the libs, but 
I would certainly put them above, you know, Aussie battlers and shooters and fishers. Like, it's important. I mean, yes, the Libs are currently being infiltrated by far-right fundamentalist ACL cranks, which is why the Liberals, you had Matthew Guy at that debate on Sky bashing safe schools, which their whole attack is, well, if it's anti-bullying, here's another anti-bullying program that we can have instead that doesn't support LGBTI people. You're like, yes, but LGBTI people have specific needs. They are a particularly persecuted group. And yes, we need to specifically address that. The only reason you oppose the safe schools thing, which is not a thing for kids, it's a resource for teachers. Yes. The reason you oppose it is because you want kids to be able to be taught that LGBTI people are second-class citizens. You want to teach them that, and that has consequences. We don't want kids being taught that LGBTI people are second-class citizens. We do want kids being taught that LGBTI kids are just the same as the rest of us. That's what you object to, and that's what's important, because the corollary of your version is that, yes, they will be persecuted. You're trying to lock that in with kids at a vulnerable age. We're trying to make sure that kids that have, at, a, at a learning age know not to discriminate against LGBTI people. That's precisely the thing they want to change. That's their problem with safe schools. It's got nothing to do with that this website had a link to another website that had another link. Have you used Google? Google has links to everything. Yes. Well, and it's... So last night in the uh, leaders' debate, a woman asked about safe schools, of course, and basically said that, you know, she was wholesome and had a wholesome traditional ideal of the family, which I guess leads you where that she was going with that in the first place. With, by, by traditional view of the family, they mean fundamentalist hating gay people. Yes. And uh, Daniel Andrews is saying that he's not going to change a program because it saves lives. And Matthew Guy came back. We're going to use the um, Alan and Madeline Foundation program about anti-bullying. Replace it with that. Which the point of them doing that is that it doesn't have anything to no. To which Daniel Andrews responded that that's actually incorporated into the Safe Schools program. Yeah. That part of that is, is in there. And the questioner actually came back and said... Well, children are being encouraged now that they can be a boy one day and a girl the next. And don't shake your head because you know it's true. No, children it's a lie. Are, Children are being taught that they can choose their gender identity in schools. And Andrew's actually said something I can support. And he said that is simply wrong. Same-sex accepted adolescents, young people in schools are, have a six times higher rate of suicide than non-same-sex attracted uh, adolescents. And he's not going to accept that. And he also said if providing resources to reduce homophobia isn't popular, that he can accept that too. Good. And that's good. You know, Pity he's, he's said a lot today. of idiotic things, and he does say a oh, lot of idiotic like things. Like the, the ALP doing their classic before the election, we'll rule out ever making a deal to work with the Greens. Yeah, okay. Going back to 2010, Gillard, before that election, says, where, where we're talking about actually doing some action on climate change, mm. and Gillard's like, I will rule out there will be no carbon tax under a government I lead. And when she says that, we're all like, but you need to put a price on carbon. That's precisely what needs to happen you're just trying to wedge the Greens. All you're doing is meaning that if the Greens are in a position to force you to, you're going to have to break your dumb promise. And guess, look how that worked out for Gillard. Yeah, very well. So Daniel Andrews presumably is trying to avoid getting a concerted campaign attacking him from the Murdoch press saying you're going to deal with the Greens. Yes. But all he does by doing that is, A, he facilitates them in saying the Greens, giving the impression that the Greens are dangerous which means that when he has to work with Greens because the Greens get the balance of power, it's going to be even harder for him. A, he's going to have to break his dumb promise, and B, he's going to be looking like he's dealing with people who are terrible because before the election he was out there screaming that they were terrible. They're not terrible, Dan. They're just the consistently progressive people that your party often isn't. Now, look... The Victorian Labour Party have been, this government has been pretty progressive under Daniel Absolutely, Andrews. they have, and they've done a lot of Which I'm happy to preference things. them after the Greens, but they're not as consistently progressive as the Greens, and... There are people in the in the state ALP who are quite right wing, and I am still going to be voting the Greens, and I hope 
I hope that the Greens are in a position to force Daniel Andrews to eat his poorly chosen words. Yes. And the LP needs to stop pulling this shit because it doesn't impress progressives. It doesn't really even persuade the right-wingers because the right-wingers are still going to be out there screaming that Labor's going to work with the Greens. Like, they don't believe you that you won't because nobody believes you that you won't because if the choice is between working with the Greens and giving up government or working with, like, what, the shooters? Like, who are, did he rule out dealing with any other parties or just ruled out dealing with the Greens? I don't think he'd be asking for no, shooters. No, of course not. He's just, yeah. Yeah, so, sorry, you're not ruling out working with the bloody shooters or the Aussie Battlers party, but you rule out working with the Greens. Get stuffed. Come on. Anyway, this is a major election, the, the Victorian one. The Liberals are campaigning on getting in and smashing shit up. They want to smash up safe schools. They want to get in there and smash up the safe injecting room in Richmond, which means, you know, they want to, they're promising to do that within a week. So within a week, people will be dying thanks to this Matthew Guy government of And weren't cranks. you saying they're not actually even running a candidate in Richmond? Yeah, so Richmond is where the safe injecting room is, and they are going to not even run... They're not even... The electorate where they're going to be doing this damage, they're not even running a candidate in. Yeah. That's mm. terrifying. And they're going to kill people. It is actually going to kill people. Yeah, the alternative to safe injecting rooms is unsafe injecting public spaces. Good on you, liberals, you dickheads. And their entire policy for everything is to just lock everyone up. And we've talked previously about how that doesn't help in terms of family violence. It doesn't help in terms of recidivism for um, young people. Like, what's their campaign that, that they were at this week? Oh, they... the tw- uh, the 12-week uh, Tough Love Boot Camp for Youth Offenders. So uh, for, rather than sending youth in trouble into jail, they'll send them into a 12-week Tough Love boot, boot Camp, which will teach them respect. And discipline. And discipline. And it'll change the course just... of their future. They just need to pass history and then they can form wild stallions. Don't send them off to military school. <laughs> oh, my God. They also need some music lessons, true. Yes. But it's one of those things that that is, oh, God, it, that system has been used all over, well, all over America, for one thing, and has really low success rates, really high recidivism rates. By the way, so does jail. I'm not in any way suggesting that jail is improvement on this. No. But the rehabilitation programs that they would be getting rid of, the yeah, proper ones these, that these... actually help build the kids, are the ones that the, the liberal voters think are too soft. Yeah. These boot camp programs actually often lead to really damaging people. There's been high suicide rates coming out of them. Like, that's just not good at all. But it fits the whole conservative... Oh, but it fits the image. Well, it does feel to me that an awful lot of conservative philosophy, apart from what the lefties like, well, we hate it, we want to smash it up, it also seems to be a big part of it is all of the problems in my life would be improved if somebody else was being hurt. If somebody who's not me is suffering in some way, then comparatively I'm better off. Maybe it'll work through and it'll help me in some way. So, like, seriously, if you can give conservatives a a group of people that you're going to punch hard, the unemployed, the young criminals, refugees, the harder you punch them, like, they don't actually care about whether it works, whether it reduces crime or any of those things. All they care about is that they're being hurt because they get some kind of sick sense that they're better off comparatively if other people are hurt. The interesting thing is where I read this was D. Ryle MP's Facebook page. And so I went and I read the comments. <sighs> Why did you read the comments? You never read the comments. Because it's educational. Look. And there was a lot of comments about, well, why don't you just send them to the army? Make them join the army. Well, first of all, they're youth. When I was a kid, I was taught tough love. I was taught discipline. And, and look, and I turned out okay. It's the broken families. You have to stop those. They're not learning it at home. <laughs> we need to get in there and teach them this at home. And... It was just a lot of that, and the constant thing was, when I was a kid, I was taught respect, and I was taught tough love. 
to me... And you turned into a fucking conservative, so clearly that didn't work. Yeah, but to me, a lot of the time that that says, there's this attitude of this, you know, things were better when I was a kid. Things, I went through this and I turned out okay. Yeah. And then when they change things... Well, I mean, that's the whole thing behind Brexit. The whole Brexit thing is like, you know, there was a glorious time when Britannia ruled the waves. If only we can break free of Europe, we can go back there. Dickheads, colonialism, you don't have an empire anymore. You can't... None of the, And you weren't... You were doing shitty shit when you had the empire. Yeah, the thing that the magical, happy, great, great Britain past you're dreaming of has gone, cannot come back, and simply smashing up your country in order to placate idiotic xenophobia is not going to help you in any way. Also, this magical Britain you talk about, you know, with, uh, you think of, like, Britain in the heyday of its empire, you know, Victoriana and that sort of thing, also had poor houses and mass orphanages and... Yeah, but the rich people were doing fine. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. But, but it had lovely Christmas cards. <laughs> I am very worried about the Libs getting in. They go. They basically want to make... Basically, everything the state Libs want to do will make the state significantly worse. Everything from their stupid law and order policies. Uh, Matthew Guy was in the debate saying that he didn't really care what the evidence was about mandatory sentencing not helping anything. Um, he couldn't do it anyway. Like, they're ideological fanatics who don't give a shit about what evidence says and does. Uh, and all of their plans will make the, the state worse. And, yeah, okay, the, the Herald Sun is massively behind them and wants us to be much more concerned about their bullshit scandals about whether the ALP properly ran the... how their officers ran their workers at the last election and uh, they want us to be really angry about the idea that, that the firefighters' union should have any role in determining appropriate conditions and, and standards for firefighters. Yeah, I think they've had that last minute sort of, we're not doing very well in the poll, so let's bring the CFA up because people get really defensive about their, their CFA. Anyway, it's an important election and it's scary. And just be conscious on the ballot paper. There are a lot of right-wing ratbags with misleading names. And one last thing before we leave the Victorian election, I'm just going to play you the interview between uh, David Spears and Liberal candidate for Frankston, Michael Lamb, about building a power station in Victoria. And it is basically like one of those old John Clark, Brian Dore, you know, the front fell off sketches. It is... We'll have a listen. There'd be conventional gas opened up. There'd be a new power station yep. paid for by the private, be state. private sector. Yep. Oh, by the private sector. Yep. yep. So we'll tender. We'll tender to the to the send whatever the market decides. We'll, well tender they, they can do that already, though, can't they? Who's they? that? The private sector can build a power station if they want. Well, we're going to. Well, they haven't been allowed to under this government. Haven't been allowed to build, build a, a build a build a power station. Well, there's. All sorts of renewables and yeah. wind power. What are you saying? You... Whatever, whatever is the most reliable and affordable, the market will determine that. But I, that's what I'm saying. The market determines that every day, don't they? Yeah, what what no. are you saying you'd do differently? The, the tender process will be building a power station. The, a tender process for what? For the government? The lowest base power, yeah. So the government, the taxpayer would fund? No, no, it's station. private industry. But they can do that already? Well, they haven't. They haven't. So what would the government do? We'll allow them to do it. But with their own money? Yes. They're allowed to do that now? Well, they're not, though, are they? Why not? I don't know. So, hang on, I'm just confused. What, what changes? What changes is we will tender to, the, to the, get the lowest base power we can get and we'll get a power station built. So, sorry, tender to purchase the power itself? No, or? to build the power station. But you're not building it? No, the private, private sector will. OK, so... But the private sector can go and build a power station today... Well, they haven't, though, have they? They haven't been allowed to under this government. Oh, I'm a little confused. Well, they've closed power stations in this government. Yeah, they closed... Well, Hazelwood closed. Well, they tripled the brown coal tax. Anyone... So what would you change? I'm just trying to establish what the Liberals would change 
to, to, to see a new coal-fired power station open. No, I'm not saying it's going or to be... Or a new power station. Oh, you're putting words in my mouth. No, 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 I'm no. just trying to... Oh, whatever the, whatever okay. the, it may be... You explain to me it, what may will be, what it may well be. It may well be um, renewable energy. Okay. Whatever the market determines. But they do that already. So renewables are built already, yeah. aren't they? Well, they're not reliable and they're not affordable. So you're talking about coal or gas? Yeah. So what would you do? Get the market to determine what the, pro- what the best, best way forward is. But they... They don't do, I'm just a little, uh, still a little oh, unsure. So we're going around in circles. I know, that's why so I'm just trying just, to establish. All, I'm sa- all my understanding of it is, is that we will mm. tender to get private industry to build a power station. Okay, with a bit of help from the state, presumably. To yes. Get, so a bit of taxpayers' money. Yes. Right. Because you earlier said it wouldn't be. Sorry. Okay, the Labor Party didn't shut the power plant. It's just that they didn't stop the private industry from doing it. They, they didn't get in. The king did not come in and order the peon, a.k.a. the private company, to not shut the plant. No, the, the private market doesn't want to invest in coal anymore. I'm no. sorry, Michael Lamb. The only way you're going to be able to do that is by giving government subsidies, which your federal counterparts are more than happy to do. That's, they, they keep talking about they're going to give They want to give subsidies to coal. My favourite part is how he keeps going back and forth on renewables. Well, the market will decide what kind of uh, energy it'll be. Oh, but renewables aren't very efficient or cost-effective. Well, actually, they are, and that's a lie. Oh, but so you're not saying that. You're saying gas and coal. Well, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it's open. Stop putting the words in my mouth. won't let them build coal power plants. How? They've got some kind of giant... They tripled the carbon taxes. Like, no, yeah. not, what are you talking about? The market <laughs> will decide. Well, doesn't the market decide now? Yes, but it'll be different. How? Because the market will decide. Doesn't the market decide now? Yes, but it'll be different. How? It's just like, it's the sort of thing that gets on repeat again with that... Taxpayer won't be funding it, but we'll have to offer a tender. With the government. Like, what are you doing differently? We're going to offer a tender. So you are giving them money. No. You are giving them money. Okay, yes. <laughs> like, what? Oh, it's just shameless... But I do like. I mean, this is this is what's so bonkers about the Conservatives, particularly the the modern Liberal Party with the the Abbott faction. They are so much in love with coal because they're not really free market types. They're we will be bought by one section of the free market. So the coal lobby obviously has their hooks into the Conservatives, which yes. is why they keep going to work for them when they leave Parliament. And because of that, they are prepared to burn everything they say about free markets in order to promote the particular section of the market that's, that, that, that is funding them so, so effectively and so enthusiastically. So all this shit about... Like when they sold off all the power industry to the private market, the idea was that the private market would then make the decisions as to what was the best way, of, uh, most efficient way of allocating resources and so forth. And when the coal lobby doesn't like what the free market does. They want the government to come in. Basically, they've said they want the government to re- come in and, look, if necessary, renationalize the coal power plants and rebuild them. Like, we're perfectly ha- We think the free market is, is great up until the point where it doesn't do the right thing by this um, ancient legacy industry that we should be letting die, but is, we've got its hooks oh. into us. And, and if, if it's not doing well, then the government should intervene to help them. Well, Shouldn't they help anybody else, but it should just help this ancient polluting industry which the lefties hate, which is really one of the big things for us. Lefties hate burning coal. That's what, I mean, really. So we'll, we all have, we'll keep burning coal. And while we're doing it, let's do some coal seam gas. It's just mad. But yeah, they do, they're not principled. They just, they do want, they've got their, their side and that's all they give a damn about. And it's and they, all this rhetoric about the, the, the 
you know, invisible hand and the beauty of the market and so forth, is own, they're only interested in it to the point where it helps them and helps their mates. And to the point where it doesn't, then they drop it like a hot potato. Well, it's interesting because as Scott Morrison was saying a few weeks ago, they weren't here to help people, you know, rort the system and they weren't here to help corporations take advantage of the system. Well, they are there to help people take advantage of the system as long as it's the people they want to be taking advantage of the system. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's who they are. They're not. So if it's an industry that they're not supporting, then they're against them, you know, with finding loopholes. I wonder if the new, uh, what do they call them, Advanced Australia or this body that the Libs have started or far right cranks have oh, started the, to. The, the get up, uh, the opposite of the anti get up. The anti get up. Advanced Australia they've, they've launched. And the two things they want to fight against are Labor's plan to scrap imputation dividend refunds, which they call the retiree tax. Remembering that yes. what this is, is you own shares and don't pay any tax. So the bit, what we do, we give you a tax credit when you have shares for the amount of tax that the company paid on your behalf. So your share of that company, you get that much back from the tax office, which, which is still a bit bonkers. Like if the company pays tax, you should still be paying tax on your income. It shouldn't be a thing you get to reduce from your income. That's bonkers. And when they talk about company tax and why our company tax has to be lower so it can compete with America or whatever, most countries don't have this. Yeah. This thing where the company's tax then get, comes off their shareholders' tax, yeah. that's bullshit. That shouldn't happen in the first place. But under Costello and Howard, they did one step further where when people had reduced their taxable income so much that they weren't paying any tax at all, but they had a dividend credit we give them cash. Yeah. Taxpayers give them money. People who are not paying tax but are rich and own shares, we give them taxpayers money. And Labor is proposing to remove that bit and only that bit. And Josh Frydenberg and the Libs are calling that the retiree tax. So this new Advanced Australia campaign mm. is campaigning for that. And to keep Australia Day on January 26th. Those are their two big issues. They have a third thing. Oh, yeah? They're going to target the seats that GetUp is targeting. Yeah, yeah. so their plan is to save the the worst members of Parliament, like Peter Dutton. Yeah. I wonder if these principal conservatives are going to come back against the government nationalising the coal industry or something. I somehow doubt it. Let's, by the way, before we leave Scummo and his uh, garbage from the last couple of weeks... Now, you heard the audio of him being really creepy about Pamela Anderson. Yep. He was basically, because Pamela Anderson had a history of being a, a lust object rather than a person who he can deal with as a human being, when she was campaigning to have Julian Assange you know, supported by his government, yes. or at least, you know, having the government do the bare minimum that they should do for a citizen, yeah. and he was joking about... Oh, making that joke about how a lot of my friends have asked if they can be the special envoy to deal with Pamela Anderson. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Yeah, we, we covered that oh, recently. Revolting. We played the audio and it was nauseating. <laughs> I've had plenty of mates have asked me if they could be my special envoy to sort the issue out um, oh, yeah. with, with Pamela Anderson. But, but putting, putting, <laughs> putting that to one side... Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that made its way back to Pamela Anderson, who... Uh, wrote an open letter accusing him of trivialising and laughing about the suffering of an Australian and his family. You followed it with smutty, unnecessary comments about a woman voicing her political opinion, she wrote. Morrison just hasn't responded to that because he's a gutless idiot. But Kelly O'Dwyer at the National Press Club did have to uh, answer a question on it. I think the Prime Minister probably regrets the comments that he made, and I certainly know from a discussion that he didn't mean to cause any offence. And I can certainly say from personal experience, the Prime Minister has been incredibly supportive of the Women's Economic Security Statement in actually focusing a floodlight on these issues around women being able to build their financial security. Wait. What? 
And when she says women build their financial security, does she mean things like the federal government's great new plan that a woman fleeing domestic violence can take money out of her superannuation, which is probably lower than a man's anyway due to time off work and time working part-time and lower rates of pay, and therefore, in order to fund her fleeing domestic violence, can use her retirement money to support herself then, so can beggar herself in 20 years when she needs to retire? Yes, that's exactly what she's talking about. Oh. This, is seconds, this is at the National Press Club, and it's shortly after she made that announcement. In fact, oh, good. We will extend early access to superannuation beyond terminal illness and severe financial hardship to also include those experiencing domestic and family violence. Yeah. Yes, that's definitely supporting women's financial security. Or they're also going to do a few other things that are useful, including offering interest-free loans to women who are in these same situations or people fleeing domestic violence so they can do things like pay bond and, and buy things for the house and stuff like that. But really, shouldn't they just be putting more money into that? Shouldn't they be putting more money into Centrelink services, into services supporting people, into shelters, into crisis housing, into housing for people on low incomes? Like, there's so many things. They're basically doing this, making the situation where it stays the woman's fault and it stays the woman's responsibility to save herself. And to fix it herself and at her own expense. They're doing it in the same way as they do, you could access your super if you've got, um, if there's some really serious hardship. Like there are ways you can access your super. Yeah, terminal illness is one of them. Well, not terminal illness, but a serious, potentially Um, terminal illness. Those are not instant. Those are still slow things. So they're not helping you if you're fleeing domestic violence. What would help if you were fleeing domestic violence would be that Centrelink worked and you were able to get payments immediately rather than, the ridiculous situation where people uh, can't access something for weeks and months yes. before they and, get any payments. And it's interesting because uh, I was reading a friend's uh, a friend recounting what it was like when she fled domestic violence and how she was living out of her car and how you know you're not counted as homeless if you're living on friends' couches. And she had her kids in the car or kids on the friends' couches. And when they say it takes six weeks to access Centrelink, they really mean 12 to 18 weeks because of the processing times and the lags and having to prove things. Like, it's just, in, in, in you can't yeah, tell you your children, get you can't tell your children, oh, don't worry, Centrelink will give us money and I'll feed you in six weeks. Yeah. Oh, the, the fact that there is a delay, it's not a safety net. No. Like, what do you, that, that is time that you need money to live. Mm, it's horrifying. It's not like a rent, you know, a, a landlord's going to be like, oh, that's okay, well, I'll wait six weeks for you for pay any rent. Yeah. Or pay a bond. What? If you can even find a place you can afford. Yeah, not what you can't now. Most, most places in Victoria you couldn't afford on, on settling at all. Well, and the other thing they announced was this change to the parental payment. So currently, you if you make under $150,000, you get 18 weeks of payment at the minimum wage, which is not very much money. It's like $760 a week before taxes. You have to take that 18 weeks altogether. You can transfer it over to someone else if you split it up, but you can't split it up yourself. And you don't get it until the birth of your child. You can't even... So it starts the day your child is born, so... I think you've got to go for both parties to get it. Like, you'd have to have a big enough gap between kids that somebody... That the person who took leave with the first child has gone back to work yeah. before the second. Well, and there's all sorts of other things. Like, you have to have worked um, out, out of the previous 52 weeks. You have to have worked all but eight, eight of them. And you can't go off more than six weeks before the babies or eight weeks before the baby's born. Like, there's all sorts of things. Like, uh, medical exemptions. There are exemptions. But they're changing it. They're not increasing the number of weeks. They're not increasing the amount that they're paying it. They're changing it so from 2020, you can have your 12 weeks 
and then you can take that additional six weeks any time before the child is two. So if you want to take one week a month and work the other three weeks, if you want to take one day a week for however many weeks, you can do that, which sounds great. It sounds like, yay, this is flexibility. This is awesome. I'll get continue to get the center lake payment while I'm back at work after those initial 12 weeks, but it's still shit. They should definitely be giving you the 18 weeks and then they should have that other six weeks for every parent anyway. Yeah. So these are these are more of the forward thinking women first policies that Kelly O'Dwyer and Scott Morrison are putting in place. Well, I guess those are issues for next year when we finally get to kick out this, the Morrison government. He's hoping that the Herald Sun are not successful in their campaign to kick out the Andrews government in Victoria. Uh, I'd have to say if uh, Matthew Guy becomes Premier on Saturday, uh, I don't think that I'll be in the mood to do a podcast next week. But that's it, I'm not going to do a podcast next week anyway because we've got uh, certain significant family things that are happening. So we'll basically, next week we're going to have to take a week off. But thank you everybody for coming back. Thank you, Ginger, for stuck in my core. Thank you, Denise, for coming back to the podcast again. You're very welcome. Thank you to our Patreon subscribers, including new Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. You are how it keeps going. Uh, thank you, everybody, who has left a positive review on iTunes. And thank you, people, who are discussing things with us uh, on the at Well May We Say Twitter, which is uh, makes a significant difference. All those things make a difference. The funding to get podcasts going makes a, a biggest difference of all. But five-star reviews on iTunes make a difference in, t- in terms of people finding us as an Australian political progressive podcast, uh, but also engaging with us on Twitter about the things that we've been talking about and things that you'd like us to discuss. Uh, it makes a huge difference in terms of feeling like we're part of a community and uh, we're all doing something together. So very much thank you to people who have been doing that. And if you are interested, then uh, we're right there on the Twitters. Please do. Otherwise, thank you, everybody. We will see you not next week, but the week after next. And hopefully there will be some glorious news for the Victorian state election. Be be careful. Be careful, Victoria. Take care of yourself, please. Please, please be careful. Have a good night, everyone. See you all soon. Bye.